Welcome once again to another episode of Destination Declassified. One of the most fascinating things about history is the uncovering of new facts, stories, and mysteries which occurred during certain events of times gone by. There are many key decisions, people, and moments that defined and eventually won the Second World War. Not everyone agrees on specifics. However, there are some details which are simply unquestionable. In the case of Alan Turing, the mathematician who became infamous during World War II for his contribution to science, cryptography, and mathematics, it would appear that there is no one more qualified to receive gracious honor and recognition for his work. Though this was the case for some time, Turing would suffer many injustices in his life, battling his own demons whilst being persecuted for his sexual orientation. Perhaps the biggest conspiracy to haunt the life and works of Alan Turing would surround the case and cause of his untimely death at the age of 42. Reported as a suicide at the time, there have since been multiple reports, discussions, and theories centering on this issue, and is the focus of our video today. Did Alan Turing really kill himself? What troubles had the respected scientist endured in the lead-up to his death? Could it be that he was actually murdered for what he knew? Let us now look at the life and death of Alan Turing in this episode of Destination Declassified. Alan Matheson Turing was born on the 23rd of June, 1912, in London. His father was a civil servant who managed to secure his son's application to an established private school during his early years. This would shape young Alan to develop and hone his skills in numbers and science, as he grew up and attended the highly esteemed University of Cambridge in 1931. Three years later, at the age of 22, Turing would not only graduate, but would become an elected member of a fellowship at King's College in London for his research into probability theory. A masterful mathematician, the young Turing excelled in various other topics, such as cryptanalysis, philosophy, and biology. However, his expertise would lean heavily upon that of numbers and problem-solving. His 1936 paper, on computable numbers with an application to the Entscheidung's problem, decision problem, not only cemented his intellectual capabilities in the UK, but was also published across the Atlantic in the United States, where he would switch his studies to Princeton University. The Entscheidung's problem was a mathematical method which sought to resolve the task of determining which mathematical statements were provable with a formal mathematical system and those which were not. Turing spent a long time and numerous resources on trying to find an effective solution to improve that of simple arithmetic. His efforts would result and transform into the universal Turing machine. The complex computing apparatus seemed to encase and verify the logical principles of a digital computer and bolstered Turing's place within the campus as well as various scientific bodies. Returning to King's College in 1938, 
Turing would begin his work with the government by joining the Government Code and Cipher School, which, after the war broke out the following year, moved their headquarters to Bletchley Park in Buckinghamshire. Little would he know at the time, but Bletchley Park, and especially the woman who worked on the desks, would become pivotal in obtaining Nazi information and using it against them to help Allied forces win the war. Turing and others would develop various code-breaking machines during the early years of the conflict, eventually focusing their efforts on a specific appliance known as the Bomba. The men and women at Bletchley Park were finally able to use this machine in 1942 to decode thousands of intercepted messages each day from Nazi military personnel. When the war ended, and attention turned to those key people whose knowledge and know-how helped win the battle against Hitler, Turing was awarded an OBE for his work on code-breaking machines. He would go on to work for the National Physical Laboratory, where he assisted in the development of an electronic stored program, an all-purpose digital computer, with the intention of producing milestone technologies for the future. However, this hope would be short-lived, as on the 7th of June 1954, Turing would be found dead in his home, the cause of death being ruled as suicide. Alan Turing was found dead by his cleaner at his home in Wilmslow, Cheshire, his corpse indicating that he had passed away at least 24 hours before. He was 42 years old. An immediate post-mortem examination was conducted by the local doctors and was concluded that the cause of death was due to cyanide poisoning. When the cleaner came upon Turing's body, she noticed and referenced a half-eaten apple which lay at Turing's bedside table. The apple also had apparent traces of cyanide within its core. At the time of discovery, however, the apple itself was not tested for cyanide. In fact, it was mere speculation and assumption on behalf of the doctors that it did indeed have traces and would have been the means of which Turing was physically poisoned. Suicide was the final verdict by the coroner, by way of digested cyanide poisoning. Known to have an apple before bedtime, and most likely being able to access cyanide from the local campus, the possibility that Alan Turing took his own life was reinforced by his apparent fascination with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. For those who have not read the fairy tale, or seen the film versions of the story, the character of the Queen becomes reincarnated as a grotesque evil witch after eating a poisonous apple which falsely promises immortality and wish-granting. Turing's love for the story was described in detail by Andrew Hodges and David Levin. Both men have written biographical accounts on Turing and believe it is possible that he was attempting to reenact a version of the events as told in the fairy tale by adding cyanide to the apple which he ate that fateful evening. Levitt states that Turing took a keen pleasure in the scene where the wicked queen immerses her apple in the poisonous brew. Surely one of Britain's finest mathematicians and brilliant minds to ever exist did not kill himself over a small obsession of a children's story tale. In any case, the conspiracy theories began to circulate, with Turing's personal and sexual life being thrust into the spotlight for many to discuss and gossip. One theory emerged from Professor of Philosophy Jack Copeland, a distinguished member of Oxford University. Copeland is also the director of the online Turing Archive for the History of Computing and author of several works on the famous scientist. After studying Turing for many years, 
Copeland has questioned the verdict and handling of Turing's death, especially in the immediate aftermath of his body being found. Accidental inhalation of cyanide fumes from an apparatus used for gold electroplating spoons is a potential scenario proposed by the professor, as the chemicals would have been used to dissolve the gold in a study which Turing had set up in his adjacent room. Copeland clearly states in his work that the autopsy reports do not tie up with the natural cause of death, which he suggests is consistent with inhalation rather than digestion. Not only this, but Turing's own mother, as well as close friends and neighbors, tended to sway towards the accidental ingestion theory, as no one was ever aware of any depressive signs shown by the man. Author Roger Bristow founding member of the Bletchley Park Trust and former mayor of Milton Keynes, has also spent many years in the study of Turing's life and works. His fascinating theory into his death points the finger firmly at the Federal Bureau of Investigation within the United States. Not only was Turing a masterful mathematician, but his work with the government, intercepting thousands of secrets and plans each day, there is a possibility that he could have stumbled upon damaging secrets from the UK's trusted ally. According to Bristow, Turing had been working on a secret operation named Verona, which included the deciphering of wartime radio signals to identify Russian spies working within the United States. The theory continues that certain Russian agents were able to infiltrate numerous governing bodies, posing as US officials some of which getting very close to then-President Franklin D. Roosevelt. If this was the case, the exposition and identification of Russian spies within the U.S. government would have surely been a colossal failure and embarrassment for the President and that of the political structure which surrounded him. Another argument posed by the author was the final declaration from the pathologist who oversaw the report on his death. His concluding statement read, death appears to be due to violence. Bristol claims this statement, as well as the fact that Turing's remains were buried the very next day, shows that there was definitely something more sinister at play. In 1952, when homosexuality was considered a criminal act, Alan Turing would be convicted of gross indecency for having a sexual relationship with another man. A deal was struck with the prosecutor that he should undergo chemical castration as opposed to being given a prison sentence. Another counter-argument to the suicide verdict is due to the constant mistreatment, threats, and bullying that Turing suffered at the hands of police authorities with regards to his personal life and sexual orientation. He also died more than a year after the hormone doses had ended, and considering the lack of a suicide note, his defined characteristics, and plans for the weeks ahead, Many have speculated that he was in fact murdered by UK authorities. Similar to Nazi or Soviet sympathizers, homosexuals were also considered a threat to national security. So it is not beyond the realms of possibility that Turing knew too much and was killed by those who saw him as trouble and a potential danger to the UK. To add even more mysteriousness to the conspiracy that Turing killed himself was his fascination for fortune-telling. While enduring constant harassment by the government officials leading his case, Turing would visit a fortune teller with a group of friends, as his belief in the mystic arts dates back to his youth. As a boy, Turing attended a fortune teller, 
who informed him that he would grow up to be a world-renowned genius, which, by this time, he was generally considered to be by many in his field. In the weeks leading up to his death, Turing traveled to St. Anne's on Sea, with the intention of gathering favorable insights from yet another fortune teller. One of Turing's friend's daughters noticed that the seemingly happy logician came back from his reading a deeply changed man. Barbara Greenbaum would state that his cheerful visage had shrunk into a pale, shaking, horror-stricken face, and that he never spoke the whole road home. Could it be that Turing was fully aware of his pending murder? Or had he been given information that he was unable to bear, and so made plans for his eventual suicide? What do you think? According to Turing's nephew, solicitor and author Sir Dermot Turing, he certainly was dealing with some issues in the lead-up to his death. Referencing another boyfriend in his uncle's life at the time, Sir Dermot stated, There was reference to a man called Roy, and I've been unable to track down Roy or find out any more information. But it looks as if there was at least a possibility a new scandal was about to break. Although unable to ascertain concrete details on Turing's love life in the days before his demise, this would certainly have weighed heavily on his mind. If it were to be true, the possibility of another homosexual offense be handed down to him would have been too much for him to comprehend. Sir Dermot also references the speed in which the post-mortem, investigation, and judgment was made regarding his uncle's apparent suicide. The inquest date had been set with remarkable rapidity. There wasn't any time for anybody to influence or manipulate any evidence, Sir Dermot recalls. The rabbit hole concerning Alan Turing goes fairly deep, as even his closest family and friends are not entirely sure of the specifics. Hopefully they were able to find some peace and closure in the fact that numerous apologies were expressed by the UK government as time passed. In August 2009, British programmer John Graham Cumming generated a petition demanding that the UK government apologize profusely for the prosecution of Alan Turing during his time of mistreatment. It garnered more than 30,000 signatures, therefore adding pressure to then-Prime Minister Gordon Brown to address the petition in an official statement. Released in September 2009, Prime Minister Brown would humbly apologize for the prosecution, sentencing, and disgraceful treatment at the hands of the authorities on Alan Turing, calling them appalling, and that, we are sorry, you deserved so much better. Another petition began in December 2011, and was authored by William Jones alongside his Member of Parliament, John Leach. The petition urged the government to pardon Turing for his conviction of gross indecency, claiming that he was forced to undergo so-called organotherapy, chemical castration. Two years later, he killed himself. Alan Turing was driven to a terrible despair. Again, the following was massive and gained well over 37,000 signatures, including that of Stephen Hawking, and was submitted to Parliament. Though initially pushed back by Justice Minister Lord McNally, who claimed that the sentence should still stand as it was appropriate for the time and place, it would eventually be overturned and result in Turing receiving a pardon in 2013. On the 24th of December, 
Queen Elizabeth II signed the pardon to remove Turing's conviction with immediate effect and was celebrated across the nation. A film based on the life and works of Alan Turing, called The Imitation Game, was released to critical acclaim and starred Benedict Cumberbatch in the role as Turing. During a premiere of the film, the producers personally thanked John Leach for his efforts to gain the eventual pardon for Turing and his remaining family. Leach would go on to secure pardons for 75,000 other men and women convicted of similar crimes. A blue plaque has been constructed on the house of 43 Adlington Road, Wilmslow, where Turing lived out his life and eventually died. His remains were cremated at Woking Crematorium on the 12th of June 1954, with his ashes being scattered in the nearby Garden of Remembrance next to his father. So what happened to Alan Turing in the end? Did he kill himself? Or was he murdered due to his knowledge and private life? I guess we will never truly know the facts. What is unquestionable, however, is his momentous contribution to physics, mathematics, and science over the years, as well as his involvement in the technical, problem-solving side of the war. Without his input and subsequent technologies that were generated in his name, we may be living in a totally different world today. Hopefully this gives us a better insight into the man who helped Britain defeat the Nazis without even using a weapon. Sometimes, the brain is more dangerous than a gun. Perhaps this was his downfall. But, in any case, we must be grateful that Alan Turing ever existed in the first place. Thanks again, folks, for joining us on this episode of Destination Declassified. See you next time.